So anyway, there's this guy. His name, his name is Elkanah. He had two wives. Okay, go ahead. Frown face. He had two wives. Terrible, terrible human being. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. You can imagine the tensions that might be created by something like that. So this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. This is where the temple was at the time. Okay? So uh, they went to Shiloh and they sacrificed and they worshiped the Lord there in front of the ark. Where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah was sacrificed, he would give his give portions to Panina, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion because he loved her though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Tough. Imagine, first of all, I mean, try to imagine being married to a man and he's married to another woman. That's a little tricky for us. But imagine your his other wife can have children. She's given him a few sons and daughters. And you, after however many years, nothing. Yeah. Tough. Difficult. And worse, instead of Panina being gracious, loving... She'd turn the screws on her. Yeah, that's awful. We can be awful. So, Elkanah, her husband, this is verse 8, in case you're lost, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? At least Elkanah's got his head on straight. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, and not forget me, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall touch his head. So we have this full picture, right? We have this woman who knows God, trusts God. She's not a terrible person. But she is sonless in a, in a society where a woman's value is have children and take care of the home. Difficult. There's no CEO job waiting for her. There's no fireman's job waiting for her. Her life is take care of the home and have children. And she can't have children. What do you think God is like? You really think about it. For some people, God is the distant creator of the universe. Someone to be feared or You know, he's just out there somewhere. But to be avoided. We don't want to make him mad. We don't want his attention at all. 
For others, God is the big man upstairs. And really, he's just waiting for you to die so that he can punish you or reward you. For many people in the West, this is God to them. For others, God is just like you. He's whatever your opinion is. His opinion is exactly the same. I'd go on and on and on, but those are my those are the three I encounter the most often. The distant being that doesn't have any interest in us. The guy just waiting for you to pass on so he can say yay or nay. Or the God who really is just you. But you see, Hannah, Hannah had a different picture of God. In the middle of all this, you know, she, she can't have children. This has nothing to do with anything anyone's done to her. This is just how she was born. And what does she do? She calls out to God. For Hannah, the God, God is the God who cares. He not only wants to bless her, but she believes he cares too and that he can. This is different a lot of times from the way we picture God. A lot of times we think of God as like a guy with a big beard, maybe a cop hat and a baton. Sometimes we think of him as some kind of magic God who just snaps his fingers and everything is perfect and wonderful. Which is the reason why we have difficulty understanding how Jesus could be both human and God. But God works in real life. Now, God's answer, right, is, you know what, Hannah? I would love to, but you're just not good enough. I'm sorry, I can't help you. No, that's, that's definitely not what happened. If we go to verse 20. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. I have asked for him from the Lord. Hannah knows that God is not the big man upstairs, but that he is the one who can make life from death. He's the one who's interested in her. Sometimes we put on a brave face. We don't want to offend God. It's okay. You know, I'm suffering. You know, it's, a, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Everything is okay. But Hannah comes to God with reality. I'm hurting. Please do something with me. Please help me. Do we cry out to God? Do we approach him as though he actually cares? You're not in this alone. Hannah felt isolated. Elkanah couldn't understand her problem. He's a guy. How could he? I can barely understand her problem. Panita isolated her. Turned that even worse for her. 
She was alone. And yet, she wasn't. She cried out to God in her distress, in her frustration. The Bible says in verse 19, I'm sorry, verse 18, that she went on her way and her heart was no longer sad. This was before she had received her answer. But just the fact that she came to God and she knew that he was listening and that he cared was enough. I'm sure some of you have experienced this. You feel overwhelmed, buried under your circumstances. And you come to God and you just pour out your soul. And it feels better. I've been there. I have a tendency to uh, lock away how I really feel about things. I, I try to wall it off. You know, I, I don't want to hurt people's feelings, right? Because a lot of times, when someone asks me what I really think, well, <laughs> yeah, a lot of times it's, it's not the greatest. Jesus is still working about, with me about that. But, you see, one of my problems is instead of learning how to work that out and express how I really feel without the barbs, I just fear it off and pretend it's not there. It's called denial. Classic. I'm a classic denier. Everything's fine. There's nothing wrong. That didn't hurt me that much. Six months later, why am I crying? I don't know. Everything is terrible. I don't understand. Why did I just get mad? Because I lost the remote. I don't get it. <laughs> right. Why? Because you've closed off something. And that underneath root of bitterness, it makes everything terrible. Everything is the worst thing in the world. Your coffee's not hot enough. The world is ending. Your kid says something a little off color to you. That's it. You're going to prison. Go in your room and don't come out till I'm old. <laughs> you can't date till you're 102 because you said that to me. Right. Why do we do that? It's because there's something that we've denied underneath us. When we're hurt, our reaction is to pretend we're fine. But Hannah comes to God, the God who loves and blesses the God who knows and cares. And she lays it down in front of him. And she goes away not as sad. No answer yet. There's something to be said for how we see God and whether or not we think God is approachable. My dad told me this parable once. That behind every good man is a woman shaking her head or rolling her eyes. It's true. <laughs> I got an amen from somebody. <laughs> yeah, okay. Praying women matter. God listens to the prayers of his women. 
He does. You don't have to pretend everything's fine. Lay it out in front of God. Go read the Psalms. There's no pretending there. David's like, God, I want you to kill everybody. Serious, it's in there. Please kill them all. I hate them all. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. But that's how we are. And if we can't be real with where we are, then how are we ever going to conquer it? How is it ever going to be something that serves us rather than the reverse? If we just pretend it's not there. This is real faith. Faith is not whistling in the dark, pretending that everything is fine while the world falls down around you. Real faith is, this is horrible. But I trust God. I'm going to come to God with this, and I'm going to pray about it, and I'm going to ask Him to deal with it. And I'm going to rely on what God said about Himself. But I'm not going to pretend that this isn't terrible. The cross was every bit a horrible, violent injustice, just as it was loving, saving grace. God is about real life. He holds these things that we usually try to keep apart, and he brings them together. Because that's real life. Real life isn't we keep everything off in its little compartments. Everything jumbles together. Men try to pretend that they compartmentalize. Okay, watch a man freak out because his son or daughter has put the remote somewhere else in the living room. Do you really think he cares that much about the remote? No, he's angry about something else. I promise. Men only think they compartmentalize. Hannah is looking to the one that she knows can bring life from death. Go to chapter 2. This is after this is after God has answered her prayer, right? And she's had a son She named him Samuel. I just want to read this song. This is cool. I won't read all of it. We'll go to... uh, Go to verse 4. 1 Samuel 2. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on or put on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread... Those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol, that's uh, the Hebrew word for death, and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. Verse 8, he raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord, and on them he has set the world. This is, by the way, Old Testament. But it's the God of ironic reversals. Does this sound familiar? A lot of times when people think of the Old Testament, they think of like the bloodthirsty psychopath God. Everything is terrible. I'm going to kill everybody. 
Hannah doesn't think so. Neither did David. Neither did Moses. Neither does the law. You know that phrase that Jesus quotes, love your neighbor as yourself? I'm sure we've heard it about a bajillion times. Do you know where that phrase is from? It's from Leviticus. Leviticus 19. It's right next to all those laws about sex. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. We have this strange picture of God. That he's the bloodthirsty psycho. Well, Hannah doesn't think so. See, Hannah thinks she's made a deal with God, right? Verse 11, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. I'll devote him to you. Razor will never cut his head. Then when she has a son, right? If you go back to chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, she went up to sacrifice the next year to celebrate. All right? About three years later, she brings her son with her. Oh, my Lord, as you live, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted my petition. Therefore, I lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. That's Samuel she brought with her. So from the time he was about four years old, Samuel was dedicated to the Lord. Now Hannah thinks she's made a deal with God, right? That God is one of these typical Canaanite deities that's not really interested in people, just wants things for himself. So he's like, you know what? That's cool. I want another slave. So yeah, I'll give you a son. You just give him to me. I'm sure, you know. But (laughs) I just love God's sense of humor. So guess what happened to Hannah after she had Samuel and gave him to God? She had five more children. This woman who couldn't have children. Five more after Samuel. So six total. See, God isn't just about himself. He models love for us. When Hannah brings her son, I'm reminded of those two things. The first is that Hannah had more children. The second, I'm thinking right now of Abraham. Go back with me in time. Another maybe seven, eight hundred years before this little episode. To this place called Mount Moriah. And Abraham is on the mountain with his son Isaac. And God says, give me your son whom you love. And so Abraham puts Isaac in God's hands. And God says, stop. Now I know. Now I know how much you trust me. I have a sacrifice. It's over here. We think of God as this evil person sometimes, especially in the Old Testament. Because we think that God is like us. He's nothing like us. Nothing. God says, my ways are not your ways. It's a measure of how much better God is than us. 
that the Old Testament proclaims the arrival of the Messiah. And then when he comes in Jesus of Nazareth, nobody recognizes the Messiah. Nobody saw him coming. When Jesus said, I am the Son of God, and you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory, the experts in the law and the prophets didn't believe him and had him killed instead. It's a measure of how much greater he is than we are. Hannah is part of something bigger than herself. Samuel spends his life devoted to God. He actually ends up anointing David. You know the guy, the the house of David, what some people call Jesus the son of David? That David. Now, as this story might sound familiar to you, if you're familiar, jump with me to, to the book of Luke. That is why we read Luke, by the way. I wasn't just like randomly picking verses with my eyes closed. Jump with me to Luke. This is about... I don't know, a thousand years or so in the future. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe, give or take. And uh, Luke chapter 1. And we have another older woman who can't have children. I wonder how many crying sleepless nights she and her husband had praying for a son. I wonder. And here we are, again, The same place. In the temple, where heaven and earth meet, Zechariah is serving in the temple, angel shows up, says your prayer has been answered. This is Luke chapter 1, in case you're interested. And of course, Zechariah doesn't believe him. I mean, who would? Zechariah's old. His wife is old. They haven't had kids. You're crazy. This is a terrible idea. Even if you could do this, you should not do it. (laughs) Right. How often do we do this with God? We think that God should do it this way. Over here, God, you should do this this way. It makes the most sense. (laughs) Tell you what. I'll tell you how many times when in my prayer life I've tried to give God advice. It is not a good idea. He just ignores you anyway. Maybe with a chuckle. That's it. But again, a person who had nothing. In that culture, a woman without children is nothing. That's why she says, when she names her son John and she thanks God, she says God had taken away her reproach, taken away her shame. Even in our time, I've known women who've wrestled with this. It is hard. It is hard not to feel broken. But they cry out to God, and not only does God say, yeah, sure. He says, oh, by the way, this is a big one. This is the guy who will prepare the way for me. So again, He doesn't just like deign to go, okay, well, I'll just give you something so I don't have to listen to you anymore. He wants them to be part of the drama of what he's building with his people. Now, Elizabeth knew better than Hannah that she was part of something bigger, that she was part of God's story. Do we know? 
again, God answers the prayers of his people. The God who gives and blesses. The God who brings life from death. Again, chooses to bring life from death in a pivotal moment. I'm just noticing a theme here, guys. God calls Abraham. The start of of the story of Israel is with Abraham, okay? Right? Right? God's answer, God's answer to what happened in the garden is Israel. And through Israel, he brings himself, Jesus of Nazareth, into, into play. And that deals with that, okay? So at the start of the story, he brings a guy and his wife, and they can't have children, and he says, don't worry, I'll take care of that. And he brings life from nothing. Then in the next stage of Israel's story, right, they're shifting into this kingship thing, even though God really hates that idea. They're shifting into this kingship thing. And what does he do to move into that? He steps into another place where there is nothing, where there is desolation, and he brings out life again. This is the God who brings life out of death. Then he goes again, right? We fast forward again to another stage where it's the end, the culmination of Israel's story, right? The Gospels present themselves as the cap of the long story of Israel. Jesus is it. He's the culmination. So at the end of this, God does it twice. He steps into another place where there is only desolation, and he brings life again. And then he steps into a woman who had never known a man in her life. No life there at all. And he brings life again. Notice the theme? This is who God is. He reaches into desolate places. He reaches into hopeless places. And he pulls out life. This is all laced through the Old Testament. Go read the prophets. Go read the Psalms. Yes, we are conquered. Yes, our lives are terrible. Yes, oh, I do not want to get up this morning. But God will do something. I don't know what it is. I don't know. But he will do something. Have a look at Mary's song. This is in Luke chapter 1. Tell me this doesn't sound familiar. Verse 50, right? And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Again, she sings about the God who does something good for those who have nothing. Sound familiar, right? We can go back and read Hannah's song. Same kinds of themes. Thousand years separated. Same view of God. To people whom God has showed himself to be good.
Much of the Bible was written by people who had been conquered or oppressed. Okay? Israel only had its moment in the sun for a very short time. Most of the rest of the time, its kings were all jerks, terrible people, sacrificing their children to idols, you know, all kinds of nonsense. All right? Making allegiances with other things, subjugating Israel to this foreign power or that foreign power. They're oppressed most of their history. The Bible isn't written by conquerors. It's not written by people who are like people who live in the United States. The United States is a conquering nation, right? We are the most powerful nation in the world. It wasn't written by the Romans. It was written by people who live and say, it would be the equivalent of people who live in some of the African nations of our time. Maybe some of the Latin American nations while they were being trampled by the Western powers. It's being written by conquered people. People who knew their situation but held out in hope and came to God in prayer and said, please do something. They believed he would. They didn't just grin and bear it. They came to him and asked. We're not done. One more time. Jump forward with me to the end of Luke. I've always, it's been really interesting to me whenever I've read the Gospels. You'll notice that when Jesus gets in trouble, the men run. The women stay. It was the women who were at the crucifixion. All the men were hiding. Just saying. I know it's a guy saying that. I don't know. I'm like betraying my own kind or something. So, Luke 23, verse 50. <laughs> Guess my man card is on, is on forfeit. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. This is Luke 23, 50. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who was not consumed, who had not consented to their decision and action. They're talking about the Sanhedrin and they're, you know, killing Jesus. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. Huh. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no, where no one had yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was the beginning. All right, so the sun's coming down. In the Jewish calendar, the day starts at sundown to sunrise, right? Not the way we do it. Which is why in Genesis it says that it was evening and it was morning. So... The women who had come with him from Galilee followed. The women who had come from him with Galilee. The men are all hiding. The women come with him. And they followed him to see where the body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Keep going into chapter 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away. From the tomb. But when, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Oh, you jumped ahead too far. It's okay. Luke 24, right? So the women are the ones. In every gospel, it's women who find out what Jesus has done first. Because the women were there. The men were hiding. It's the women who find the empty tomb. 
It's the women Jesus reveals himself to first. God respects the love and prayers and faith of women. He expects you guys to hold up your homes in prayer. To come to him with your stuff. And again, the women are there when God brings life from death. It's always women. Huh. Did you know that in the early church, usually the first converts were women from a household? It's because the Christians treated women like they were people. Women, you are wonderful. I don't know what I would do without my wife. I would lose everything. I'd be walking around like can't find anything anywhere. I would probably still be eating a sub every other day from some takeout place. I would probably weigh 100 pounds more than I do. And I would be much grimmer. You bring a light. You bring a feminine joy to the world, to your homes, to the people you know. And God listens to you when you pray. So now the so what? Right? We've got this long story. We've got life from death. Over and over and over and over. And every time in there is the prayer and faithfulness and love of women involved. Whenever we talk about the Gospels, we talk about the long story of God, we talk about men a lot, right? We talk about Peter, we talk about the disciples, we talk about Abraham, we talk about so-and-so. We don't talk about the women a lot, but they're important. They're the ones this stuff happens to. They're the ones that are praying for this stuff. They're the ones who are present, who didn't run away when Jesus was arrested. So what does this mean for us? Love your wife. And women, keep praying. Keep going. Some of you, some of you have got hurt wrapped up inside of you. Let it out. Get on your knees. Go to the Lord. Tell him what you really feel. You don't think you can do that? Go read Job. Job calls God names. I'm not kidding. (laughs) He really does. And God doesn't zot him. He won't zot you either. You can bring the deepest desires of your soul to God. And he will listen. Because he's not the big man upstairs who's just waiting for you to kick the bucket so he can judge you. 
but he's the one who made you. He made you to be an intersection of heaven and earth. To be a place where people can know the face of God. That's you. He's called all of you to know him and to reflect him in the world. So I want to encourage you, don't give up. Keep going. Life will be hard. Life won't magically get better just because you keep going. It will be hard. Keep going. You're talking to a God who has not remained aloof from your pain. But he entered the world and experienced it with us. Jesus knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to not want to get up in the morning. I promise you, he knows. He knows what it is to be so tired he can't lift his arms. Man was a carpenter for a living. The God of Israel, Jesus the Messiah, is not the big man upstairs. He's the God who dwells within you and around you. Ladies, you carry the presence of God. carry the presence of God. Families around them, lift them up in prayer. Remember your ladies carry the presence of God with them. That they are the very reflection of a part of God's nature. We love to take things out of context, right? We hear that that phrase, wives, submit to your husbands. We're going to talk about context next week when we talk about reading the Bible. We ignore the fact that just the verse right in front of it says, submit to each other. And the verse right after that says, husbands, uh, be willing to get on a cross and die for your wives. We just talk about the one verse because we don't like it. We'll talk about that next week. But if you're married to a woman... You're called to die for her. To put what you want on the back burner and elevate her. And ladies, if you're married to a man, you're called to do the same for your man. God will richly bless you. So we have uh, some gifts for all of the wonderful ladies in the building. Just a token of our appreciation for all that you bring to the kingdom of God, all that you bring to our church. Because, let's face it, you're awesome. I know plenty of awesome wisdom. Give yourselves a hand. You're awesome. We are really grateful. I'm really grateful to know you guys. So, on your way out, got a lovely young, Devin, right? Devin? Yes. 
Devin, you got a nice young man, Devin. He's got your present. So if you want it, it's chocolate. Devin, just hold on to the t- desk or something. Um, <laughs> it's chocolate. Okay, so feel free to take one on your way out. Okay. And we just, I really do want to extend my deepest, genuine appreciation for all the ladies in the room and all the ones that are away. Especially you, Mom. That's my mom. Yeah. I don't know how she didn't go insane trying to raise me, but... uh. You bring something to the world that we wouldn't have if it was just men. Or if you tried to be like men. Be yourselves. And open your heart out to God and pray. And even when it doesn't look like anything is going to happen, keep praying. Keep going. Don't stop. Trust God with all your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this time. We want to thank you that you have called us to be part of what you're doing in the world, that you don't just do it yourself, that you use us. So, Lord, we pray today that all the uh, wonderful ladies in the room would feel really special, that all the women we know in our lives would feel really special, that you would give us a deeper appreciation for how you express yourselves in them. Lord, we pray that uh, you'd keep us safe as we go, and that our lives would be more like you tomorrow than they were today. In your name, amen.